Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Bruce Feiler is the author of The Search, Finding Meaningful Work in a Post-Career World. This episode is guest hosted by Julie Chavez, author of Everyone But Myself, a forthcoming Zibby Books title, and also Ask a Librarian. Bruce Feiler is the author of seven New York Times bestsellers, including Life is in the Transitions, The Secrets of Happy Families, and Council of Dads. His three TED Talks have been viewed more than four million times, and he teaches the TED course How to Master Life Transitions. His latest book, The Search, Finding Meaningful Work in a Post-Career World, is a bold new roadmap for finding meaning and purpose at work, based on insights drawn from hundreds of life stories of all vocations and backgrounds. 
a native of Savannah, Georgia, Bruce lives in Brooklyn with his wife, Linda Rottenberg, and their identical twin daughters. Bruce, thank you so much for being with me today. I am so happy that you're a guest on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I, I First of all, thank you for having me. I just want to say I'm a huge fan of Moms Don't Have Time as a dad who doesn't have time. And but just I just think that what Zibby and you and 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 the whole team are building is you know great for moms, great for writers, great for librarians, great for booksellers, just great for the world that when everything is going by us so quickly that we can pause and have real conversations. So I'm I'm delighted to be back. Oh, I'm so thrilled. And I agree with you. Zibby has built something so special in this space and continues to do so. So I'm so happy that I get to be a part of it and talk to you today. So let's dive into your book. We're talking today about The Search, Finding Meaningful Work in a Post-Career World. So I have to tell you, I got the ARC, and as soon as I got it, I went and found my husband instantly, and I said, so you're going to be reading this book after me, uh-huh. because it is. this is such a timely Mm. timely, interesting book. I tore through it. I took so much, so much wisdom. So I'm so excited to talk about it with you today. Well, thank you. I, I just, in fact, an hour ago said that you know, the work I've been doing, I mean, this is not the first book I've written, as as you know, and I've been doing this for many yeah. years, but this work I've now yes. been doing for six years of collecting and analyzing hundreds of life stories of Americans of all ages and all walks of life and all backgrounds. It led to my last book. And the first time I was on Moms Don't Have Time, Life is in the Transitions. And now and now this one that we're going to talk about. But what I said to someone this morning was like, you know, generally speaking over time, I would say that my work has appealed more to women than to men. Hmm. And this book is appealing to women and because I, I think a women are at the vanguard of a lot of the change that that I kept hearing in my conversations and that this book explores but I also think it's equally men too. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot of really solid information here obviously, but also I think you do such a good job of really dismantling something that generationally I think mm. is very much something that we haven't thought of so I know for for example, for us, both my dad and my husband's father worked for the same company for their entire careers. Oh, really? Yes, which wow. even then was a bit of an anomaly. And when my husband started out, I think he had a sense that that's what he was going to do as well, and then had to work quick. And it's just so interesting to see how it's not what happens anymore. I mean, I was looking at you're even early in the book, you mentioned a third of the workforce leaves their job every year. That mm. shocked me, but it shouldn't. I mean, that is kind of the new, the new way of things. So when you, I guess, let's start here if we can. There are so many beautiful stories in this book. I was so moved by so many of the stories. Will you tell me about the process of collecting them? Because I know you talked a little bit about that for Life is in the Transitions, but I just want to hear about as as they've sat with you over time and you've researched these stories, how has that felt for you? Well, it feels like a privilege, right? To, mm. to look people in the eye. It's what you, it's what you do on you know, in your life in multiple areas of your life. But it's the essence of what I love most about what I do is looking someone in the eye and saying, I'm interested in your story and, te- and tell me your story. Let me go back a little bit in the process and talk about how I ended up in this. I mean, I, in a lot of ways, had 
what I think of as a traditional linear life. Like I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and I stumbled into what I wanted to do early in my life of writing. I did it for no money for a while. I had some success and, and then got married and had children. And this is the fantasy that we all have. But in my 40s, my life blew up, as you know. First, I got cancer at 43 as a new dad. Um, I had financial troubles. And then my own dad uh, got Parkinson's and, and tried to take his own life six times in 12 weeks. And as a storyteller professionally, I didn't know how to tell this story and I didn't want to. And, and when I did, what I found is that everybody's life got blown up. Though I ended up calling those, as you know, life quakes. And so I went out and I said to my wife, like, no one knows how to tell their story anymore. And I want to do something to help. And what I did was create this thing that I now call the Life Story Project. And in the first round of interviews that I did, I sort of took everybody, right? I was like, do you know any? I would interview someone and I would say, who do you know that's had an interesting life story? And it, and it was sort of, it kind of a little bit went viral. I put it on social media and then I began hearing from people. And that then led to Life is in the Transitions, which turned out to arrive in the middle of the pandemic when the entire planet was in a life transition, right? So that, that sort of turned out to be the right idea at the right time. And, and, and within really a few weeks of that book coming out in 2020, I both felt, because for me, it's always a feeling, mm -hmm. and then also began to imagine, like, work is the next thing to fall. Mm. Like, you already were beginning, like, people work from home was was coming up, right? There was the, should we be moving, and remote work, and, you know, then we had the, the public health crisis, and then we had the, everybody was working at home, and the family dynamic crisis. All these things were converging at one time, and so, like the first time, I didn't really know what I was looking for. I just knew that we had to tell this work story, and, and, and I think it's worth pausing and saying, you know, the idea of our life is a story. That was a fringe radical idea in the 1980s in psychology, and it's entered kind of the mainstream. But for reasons that somewhat escape me, we don't really talk about it in work. Like we don't talk about our work lives as a story that we inherited from our parents, right? These expectations and our culture and our upbringing. And, and that isn't an idea that's really taken hold. And that began to become the dominant. So the answer to your question is, this time I tried to be more intentional, right? So mm. I, so because I didn't, I wanted to get out of my own bubble. So I actually made what I came to call a bingo card. I looked at the Department of Labor, like all the jobs people have. And <laughs> it was, you know, and I divided them up into 25 categories and, you know, 25 items in five categories. I was like energy and maintenance, right? And public service and food and <laughs> beverage and beauty and fashion. And I just wanted to make sure. So that was the first thing I did. And this time, because I already had this team of people that helps me code and analyze these stories, I sent them out and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would say, you know what? I need a doula. And I'm like, I don't want a doula from Brooklyn where I live. Like a doula in Brooklyn is obvious. Right. And so then I ended up, they brought me, you know, they would bring these people. Everybody would go, okay, go get me up, you know, go get me someone uh, who's a spy. I want, you know, I want somebody who opened a farm, right? And so I would, I want somebody who works in a nuclear power plant, right? Those are, by the way, just three great stories, that Kelly Lively story, who works in the Idaho National Labs, started as a secretary. Yes, yes. Her husband didn't want her to work. And she, she thought having children will help. Having children didn't help. Didn't help. She went back to school because mm -hmm. she thought, I'll never get above being a secretary is what they called them then. She became the highest ranking woman in her department who single-handedly led driving a nuclear reactor from Idaho to Florida. 
to to ride on the space shuttle. It's and incredible. she's got a side job, and we're going to talk about this in this conversation. She's got yes. a side job as what? A stand-up comedian. Like that, like that, that's, that's a mom who doesn't have time to read because she's running the country and cracking jokes at the same time, right? So, so that's the nonlinear work life. So the, these, my team would bring me people, and then we voted. Like everybody oh, would fun. vote, like, that's a good story. That's not a good story. And so I have to say the bar, like the standard of the stories in this book were even higher than the amazing stories and life is in the transitions. Well, you can see it because reading some of these, I mean, I would, I would get halfway through one and go, what? I mean, just out loud. I was so amazed by some of the turns these people's lives took. Yeah, let's do Kirsten Green for a second. Like Kirsten, yeah. Kirsten Green, she grows up in Alabama, okay? She gets a job uh, teaching at an HBCU criminology. She wants mm-hmm. to be a doctor, but she switches to criminology. She's running her department at this at this college and she's got a, a partner, you know, and there is a family member whose teenage daughter gets pregnant. Turns out this is it was it was not consensual right. uh, the, the the experience and the and the girl decides she wants to keep the baby and says to Kirsten I want you in the delivery room with me so she's a criminologist she starts taking online classes she becomes a doula and immediately after helping this family member give birth the girl says to her you would be great at this Kirsten changes her academic research to look at pregnant incarcerated women and how we can lower recidivism among them. And now she's opening a birth center so that other people can have the opportunities that she's had in her life. So she's got a full-time job. Yeah. And she now has this side job that gives her even more meaning. She's actually doing a main job that gives her meaning, but the side job, and that really, I think, is the thing to underline here, mm-hmm. Julie, which is that the biggest change that's going on in work, I mean, you mentioned the fact that a third of the people, I think the stakes here are worth emphasizing. Yes. 70% of Americans are unhappy with what they do. 75% of Americans in a survey released two weeks ago said they plan to look for new work in the next 12 months. 75%. A million people a week quit a job. That's not laid off. That's not fired. That's quit a job. That's a third of the workforce. And another third of the workforce is saying, I don't want to go in five days a week. Like, I don't want to commute or I want to spend more time with my family or I want to be at Little League when my when my son is there or the ballet recital for my son or my daughter uh, is there as a, as a ballet dad myself. So that's a hundred million people, like you said with your husband at the outset of this conversation, who are sitting across from someone they love this morning, this afternoon, tonight as they're listening to our conversation saying, I'm unhappy with what I'm doing and I want to do something else. And here's the thing that no one's prepared to sacrifice anymore. Fewer people are searching merely for work and more people are searching for work with meaning. And that is a trend that's been building for a while. I'm not prepared to sell myself to an organization or a company or somebody else, even a startup. Meaning is important to me. What's been missing, it turns out, and this is what sort of came to emerge from these conversations is how do I find that meeting, which is why sort of the bulk of the search is essentially a toolkit for trying to say, I want meaningful work. I don't know. No one ever taught me. My my parents said, my parents told me dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Right. Right. They're like, you know, go seek that thing that we all were taught. Well, you know, Turns out the job I want is involves sitting around in sweatpants most of the day. Um, but the the point is no one ever gave us this toolkit. And that's what I think is the thing that I discovered that I'm most passionate. I call it, you know, 21 questions to find work you love. 
you know, helping people help themselves and the people they live with find work that's suited to who they are right now. Not two months ago, not two years ago, not 20 years ago, right now. I love the way that you explain that because even when I was reading through the book, you know, I read through it the first time just to get a sense of everything. But I thought, I want to go back and read these questions and fill in the blanks because Mm -hmm. there's so much. And to your point saying, you know, who you were a few months ago, if the idea that we're always evolving and changing and growing, hopefully in our lives, then the, the work that we do has to shift with that. And so this idea that we need more fluidity and you speak to how it's even more fluidity than we really would assume. I think that's right. And I think it's interesting. I got a call yesterday from the editor of Psychology Today, and she just read my book and was asking me to contribute to Psychology Today some pieces. And and she used a line that echoes what you just said. She said, I think your book is about how to do the work to get the work you want. Oh, that's perfect. And I do think that that is a very interesting formulation. But let's set the stage, right? So what are the what are the lies that, you know, that your husband and maybe you and certainly me um, grew up with? I would say lie number one is you have a career. Right. The, the idea yes. that you're going to follow your passion and pick something in your like 21 or 22. Well, guess what? You know, two thir- 85 percent of people in my my survey said they did not follow their passion. They discovered it or changed it or made it along the way. Like so the pressure on us. I mean, I'm about to send two kids to college in uh, 100 days. Like the chances that they're going to know their passion. Right, it, passion is great, but it changes over time. So yes. you don't have a career. Point number two, the fluidity, the average person, you mentioned work quake, right? So what is a work quake? A work quake is a moment where you rethink or reconsider or reevaluate or sort of ask yourself, am I doing what I want to be doing? We go through 20 work quakes in the course of our lives. That's every 2.85 years. But here's the thing. And this echoes in what we've been saying. Women go through them more than men. Mm. Xers go through them more than boomers and millennials more than Xers. Okay, by the way, and diverse workers more than non-diverse workers. So if you, so a millennial woman will go through two-thirds more work quakes in her life than her boomer parents, okay? And this, I think, is the signature piece of data. And actually, I think it's almost like the spirit of moms don't have time, right? Yeah. Which is the majority of work quakes, 55%, begin outside the workplace, Right. So it's not that you get laid off or you don't like your boss or you don't like the work or you have to like travel and you don't want to travel because you'd be home with your you want to be home with your family. It's because something happens in your personal life, right? With your health, right? Hello, yes. I'm raising my hand. I got diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer at 43. Uh, and I was like walking the Bible and, you know, doing all this stuff and I'm hosting TV shows and Indiana Jones. And suddenly I was in, you know, I was on crutches for two years. Right. right? So so that was a work quake, right? I'm a parent of identical twin daughters. That was a joyful, wonderful experience. But you know what? It was a work quake because it made us reevaluate everything we were doing, right? So the point is, it's our personal lives. It's our health. It's our family. It's between our ears. We don't want to be doing this anymore. It doesn't bring us meaning. And that is the thing. Like, so in the battle between work and life, we're not trying to balance them. Life has won. We all are prioritizing our life. Mm. And that is the change that is happening. And work is forced to accommodate. And that's what's the interesting moment that we're in, okay? So, and then the last thing, which we've been sort of talking around, we might as well just dig into it for a minute, is that nobody has one job anymore. No, they do not. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, yeah, I want to talk about this, but you brought this up in, in, in the green room, so to speak. Like, so this this had a big impact on you. So give me your reaction before I tell you sort of how this all came about. Okay, yes. I'm really excited that we can get uh, deep into my own psychological issues on this episode. It feels important. But that's I was, I know, I love it, right? Yes, that's why I'm hosting. What I loved, so you talk about job, side jobs, and the ghost jobs. And the mm. ghost job really stood out to me. But what's funny is I have... I work as an elementary librarian, and for a long time, I talked about that as not a full-time job because it's only 30 hours a week, but really that is my main job. And then the idea, though, that I have side jobs, I do podcasting, I wrote a book, I write sometimes in other ways, I'm working on a novel, those are all little side jobs, but the ghost job, and I even wrote this down, ghost jobs being kind of the mental load, but also not just specific to that. I thought creatives, all of us have a ghost job, which is, you know, pretty much just relentless self-doubt and how much time in a day you're going to go just assigned to that, right? Like (laughs) I'm, I'm amazed. So reading that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's something I never Never thought of, but you're exactly right. So yes, so I'm a. So, so I love. Thank you for sharing yes, that. And we're, we're this is we're we're going to get deeper in the psychology. Yes. We're not going to get away with just that top line. We're going to get into it in a, in a minute here. But let me talk about what the idea that you have a job that you go to and then you come back to your family or your personal life. Like that is an idea that does not reflect how we live today. So no one has one job anymore. In fact, I got out a defining book of my childhood, which is you know what do people do all day? And actually, for a long time, this book which is now called The Search, was called, well, what do people do all day? And, you know, that's like, it's got the raccoon who's a baker, right? And it's got the, uh, you know, it's got the uh, squirrel that's a, you know, that's a carpenter, yeah. by the way. And they're all traditionally gendered and, you know, they do the same thing. So that's not the world that we live in anymore. No. So it turns out we have up to side jobs. We'll start with a main job. And I love that you didn't, you said that your main job 
wasn't necessarily a full-time job, right? And by the way, interestingly enough, fewer than half of us even have a main job anymore. And a main job could be the primary source of time or it could be the primary source of money and benefits, right? There are different reasons, okay? Then we have a care job. Two-thirds of us have a care job, like caring for children or aging relatives or some of us both. Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm older than you are. Three-quarters of us have a side job. I sort of feel like that's been in the culture a lot. But there were two kinds of jobs I'd never heard before. One is something that people do hoping that it leads to something else, right? Yes. So that I called a hope job, right? And so that is selling Etsy, you know, selling jewelry on Etsy, right? Or writing a screenplay, right? Or something that you do, maybe for you, it's, I don't know if you've sold your novel, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a hope job. Yep. The novel is a hope job. The memoir was sold. So now that's a side job. So that would be a side job, right? And these are both distinctions that don't matter, but also really do matter, right? Yes. What's interesting is often the difference between a side job and a hope job is the side job will bring in money, but the hope job we're often paying out of pocket for, right? You know, yes. like, so you, you have to like if you're selling pickles at the at the farmer's market, you've got to invest in in the crock. I'm, I'm thinking this because I want to make pickles yeah. this summer when I become an empty nester. But like you need the pickles and the brine and the. But I kept hearing about this thing, which I have to say is not in the literature of work uh, yeah. to my knowledge. I haven't Chat GPT checked that because I've never been on Chat GPT. But Same. it's that people have an invisible time suck. That feel, here's the key thing, that feels like a job, battling self-doubt, imposter syndrome, battling discriminations or microaggressions, right? Battling mental health or sobriety, right? Or I think you just put it beautifully, self-doubt. Another huge one, financial wellness. Like I didn't grow up with money skills. And so mm. therefore I don't know how much do I save and how do I invest? That was fascinating. It kept coming up. Like people, well, I talked to a woman who works at, um, who works at Vox and, you know, she's a creative, as you said, she's in the kind of the beginning of her career, but she knows her parents have some issues and she knows that she's going to have to take care of her parents. She can't rely on them. She has a side job to bring in extra money and has this go job of like going around on Zillow looking for real estate so she can move out of the city and get a home big enough like to live with her parents who are going to need her to take care of them. Like that is a huge time suck. So this sounds like a burden. And I know for moms who don't have time, they don't have time. But I actually think the more helpful way to look at it is that what's non-negotiable is we want meaning from what we do. Mm -hmm. So maybe in this fluid world we live in, maybe you do the main job or want the side job for money and salary, but you do the hope job for meaning, right? Or maybe you say, you know what? I just got a great offer for a promotion, but my kid's on travel soccer this year and I just don't have time. So I'm going to focus on that for a while because here's the the blessing of the nonlinear life. When I was growing up, and even when we had children 18 years ago, the perception was if you got off the path, you could never get back on the path. So you have no career, you have no job, but you also have no path. And when there is no path, you can get on or off as many times as you want. And that's the thing. The, The blessing of the moment that we're in is that you can find this mix to find meaning, but also there is no, you know, sort of, career ending moment of taking time off to be with your children because there's no career anymore. So you can get back doing work when that time is ripe again. I love the way that this book frames it and that you're framing it right now, because there's such a hopeful posture here where it's okay to kind of cobble the things together to make, to make it fit for you, to make meaning. And it really does give 
an opportunity to validate all of these jobs instead of seeing them as weights we carry. It's okay. So this is where my energy goes and this is where I take in a little bit more energy and just these ideas that I can really put down. And I think the ghost job, part of the reason it was so helpful to me is that, you know, we think about the stories we tell ourselves. And that's another big theme of your book is just the stories that we tell ourselves. So I'm taking a moment to not only evaluate those and see if they're actually correct. I'm fact-checking the story I tell myself, but also to ask, is this a story that I want to spend time telling myself? Because so many of those. So that I think is exactly where where this leads us, right? So I think mm-hmm. that the first half of the search, the, the you know, it wasn't my goal. It was my goal is to sort of capture what's going on. But the number one thing I'm hearing from readers is that it is validating. And, and also it's sort of what both Life is in the Transitions and the Search have both done is, I don't know, the, the technical term for the reaction. You're a librarian. Maybe you know this reaction, but I think it's a technical reaction. People say, Phew. like, you're putting words to these feelings that I had that I didn't know what to do with. Yes. <laughs> you know, that I'm yes. in a life transition, right? Or I'm in a work transition or I'm unhappy. Like, so it's kind of simple-minded. I've been you know, joking that it's a technical term, but like people feel validated that they now understand, have a framework to understand mm-hmm. what they're going for. And what this all leads to, though, is the task uh, of kind of updating your story. And so, because I think that the, really, I would say my, uh, the, the sort of number one thing I learned is, if you go back to your your in-laws, right, that you're, you're talking about your husband, and is that the story we've been telling in this country for 200 years has been all about up, yes. right? Rags to ridges, up by your bootstraps, higher floor, bigger office, greater salary, more benefits, but if there's one thing I learned of talking to hundreds of people, 1,500 hours of interviews, is that the people who are happiest and most fulfilled in what they do, they don't just climb, they also dig. And they perform what I call kind of personal archaeology, right? They perform a meaning audit in which they explore what is it that gives them meaning right now. And so what the whole 21 questions to find work that you love is all about is is using the basic building blocks of storytelling, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how. The mistake that most people make is they start with how. They're like, okay, I, I need new work. Like, how do you brush up my resume? Like, clean up my LinkedIn profile, right? You know, call my friends close and far. Well, you know what the problem with that is? It will work. And you actually will get a job. But in two and a half years, you'll be unhappy in doing it again. So the first thing to do is to try to figure out who are you right now? And that begins by going back and saying, what did I learn from my parents? Like what imprint, you know, when I ask people, I'm going to actually, I'll pull these numbers up. You can hear my clicking in the, in the, in the microphone here. But if I look, it's on page 164 of the search question, what were the upsides of work you learned from your parents and the downsides? You know, give me a quick answer. So what were the upsides you learned from your parents and what were the downsides? Upsides are, I mean, financial, obviously you make money and Mm. you have, I think uh, my dad was in hospitality, so definitely a service element that Mm. you're of use and present and attentive. And what were the, yeah, what were the downsides you learned from watching them? Downsides were, it's easy to overwork. I think I learned overwork a little bit from them. And then also work-life balance, poor work-life balance. So this is interesting. I told you we we're going to get deeper here. Yeah. Number one upside, hard work, right? The value of hard work. Yes. Okay. That's like two thirds of us. And the rest were like, love what you do or be true to yourself. But when you look at downsides, they're much more tightly clumped. And number one, overwork. 
And then number two, the strain on the family. Like, you know, my parents worked very hard. And this is a difference, right? So we're in a generation, I'm almost prepared to say anybody listening to this conversation self-identifies as a mom, like that's important to them, but yet they want ideas, right? So what does moms don't have time, you know, to read? It's all about, I want to be part of the world, but Mm. I'm all, being a mom is important to me. So we, one of the ways that we define meaning is that we're not prepared. Yes. To work by the old metric of only money is the way you're going to gauge it. If it means traveling three times, you know, three three weeks a month. I talked to a mom who was, you know, had a great job in Chicago and was traveling two weeks a month. And she was like, I, you know what, that's not what I want to be. I want to be home with my family more. And so she, again, changed her job, something that more suited to what she was now. And by the way, over the years, she ended up getting two masters and now started her own company. But again, here's the oscillation of the nonlinear work life. So there's a question, right? So right away, we're only one question into the 21 questions. And what we've established is you have all of these, again, almost like ghosts, you have all of these things that are bouncing around in your head. This is why I call it our work scripture, right? Yes. Because it's like homilies and parables and lessons and stories and narrative that, that are clouding our choices, but we're not aware of it. And so part of what I'm trying to do in the search is like put them out onto the kitchen table mm-hmm. so you can have them. So let me just ask you one more question, right? Yeah. So other than family, Who were your role models as a child growing up? Probably my teachers. And and I wanted to be a doctor. So doctors. Okay. And so so here's what's interesting about this, right? So in the who, what, when, where, why, and how, what were the upsides and downsides of work you learned from your parents? That's a who question because that's just, you inherit that. They're just, that's just in your whoville are your parents, right? (laughs) They are in the ecosystem, right? But when you start saying, what role models did you admire and what did you admire about them? That's a what question, because that's Mm. the first time when we're children that we make affirmative actions about whom we choose to relate to. Okay. What do we know about you? We know that you spend time in a school. You're an elementary school librarian, right? So this is a thing. And if I'd asked you, which I probably should have, like what you admired about your teachers, well, I'll just ask you, what did you admire about your teachers? You know, it's their engagement and who they were, as people. I mean, I wrote about it at one point, one of my teachers, she just was settled in her own self. And I couldn't have articulated it at the time, but I just wanted to be like her. She was wise. She was kind. She was engaged. So what are you doing in your life, right? Yeah. You're you're engaged. You like ideas, right? So you both spend time with children, but you're podcasting and you're meeting new people, right? You are a conduit between people and ideas. Like before we have before we're told money matters most of all, right? Or yes. your title matters or dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Before we, that is imprinted on, that's the script mm. that the culture gives us. But we all have the scripture before we have that, okay? Yeah. And so then what you do, so each of these the questions are about the past. Who are your role models? Like what pain point did you want to solve when you were growing up? And so what was your toothache? These are the questions that are the past. And then what we work toward in these 21 questions to find work you love is a question I'll ask you right now. So you you mentioned that you've got all these different side jobs and hope jobs, this like work 360, I call it. But answer this question for me, right? Like, so my purpose right now is blank. Connection. To be connected. So first of all, we are having this conversation not in the same room. We are connected Mm -hmm. in having this conversation. If I just then echo what I have heard, 
What's the first thing you said? I, we, I sat down with my husband. I connected with him over that. He has these connections with the people in his life that are imprinting his expectation of work. I'm connected to my students, but I'm also now connected to myself. Not only am I writing a nonfiction book, but I'm also writing a memoir, which is connected to my creativity. So what's insanely powerful about this, I interviewed a guy named Mark Savickas, who is like the dean of this kind of thinking of kind of, it's called narrative career construction, right? Constructing the story of who we want to be. And he said to me, when I meet somebody, I know within five minutes what the answer should be, what they should be doing, but I don't want to tell them because I want them to discover it inside yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is what I've been trying to do here is to give, you know, the, the one thing I learned, the, there are three lies, the one truth is only you can write your own story. And the blessing of the world we live in today is, and this is, I have to say disproportionately true for women and for men, is you don't have to chase someone else's dream. You don't have to do it. The one thing I tell to my my 18-year-old twin daughters is, don't do what you think I want you to do. Mm. <laughs> because you'll be unhappy and you'll be doing something else in 10 years. And by the way, doing something else in 10 years is fine. But the job is for you to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. You don't have to chase someone else's dream anymore. You can chase your own dream and what I've tried to put down on the page is a set of tools to help you identify what is your dream because it changes. And then maybe the blessing, as you said, is to use those questions and help someone else that you love find their dream too. Bruce, thank you for this time. I am moved. This has really been a beautiful conversation. And I hope that everyone picks up your book. And I think the important thing for everyone to remember is that this book really is for everyone. I think no matter what you think your job, you know, finding meaningful work is something that we are all doing, whether you're employed or not. And so I just, I love what you've done here and I'm so grateful for this time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you again to Zibi for all your building. And yeah, I think of this book in some ways as like the greatest informational interview to meet these people. And if you come on this journey, I think you will be inspired to find the work you love, the meaning you crave and the happiness you deserve. I love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com